I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? So I'm Louise and I'm from Swords. Uh, I'm Audrey and I'm originally from Dominique, but I live in Lincoln. I'm Sharon and I'm from Swords. I'm Marie, originally from Clare and live in County Meath. I'm Fiona and I'm from Baldoyle. So we would remember Fiona from previous podcasts that we've done um, about our lovely husband, Keith. Yeah. Um, and then on Instagram I came across your page on Instagram and I was looking at it and I was like is this Fiona is this not enough Fiona I was like who's involved in this I want to see more of it so then I don't know in the heels of hunt we all kind of reached out but um Louise I'll start with yourself just um if you want to tell us what what is the page and then we can go around the room and talk great yeah so um it's gone back a couple of months now but I decided to set up a group called A Sip of Support, and that's in Swords. Um, and the reason I decided to set up A Sip of Support is in 2020, my husband Stuart passed away after a five-year illness. Um, he was an organ transplant recipient of a liver. Um, three months after he had his liver transplant, he had been sick for a long time. Um, he went into acute respiratory failure and his lungs failed. Um, one year after that, uh, when they were working him up for his lung transplant, he went into kidney failure and he spent the last year of his life on dialysis. So it was a long uh, it was a long battle that he faced, but it was a very lonely battle as a young woman um, trying to support her husband, who was absolutely amazing. I have to say that because I wouldn't be as strong as I am today had he not been as brave and strong in his illness. Um, but after I lost Stuart... I needed and craved to see that there was another young woman out there that was in her 30s that had no children for whatever life experience. Uh, I wanted somebody, I wanted to see the future, Louise. I needed to see that I was going to be okay. Um, I'd experienced other uh, grief and bereavement in my life, but uh, nothing that I felt I could relate to fully. So I I had got on my road of healing and... uh, I ended up, I I had a strong friendship with somebody who actually had alcohol addiction. So I ended up supporting that person through a journey of sobriety. And I went to an AA meeting in Swords. And when I was there, I looked around and said, this would be phenomenal to have for grief. (laughs) Because I'd love somewhere to go to talk about, like, this is how I'm feeling or... Someone to read a story and be like, I see myself in the different chapters of that. So that was a, that was a time ago, but it was the first part of my pillar of 
deciding that I would like something like that. And I searched high and low and couldn't find any kind of community support. So, like like everything else, I put it to bed, kept going with life. Um, and then it was around March this year, I was out for a walk with my good friend Brian, I have to say, because if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be here. Uh, we were on the walk and I said, I'd love if there was some type of support group. And I was talking to him about my idea. And he just looked at me and he said, Louise, if it's to be created, you have to create it. He was like, if anybody's going to do it, you're going to do it. And I was like, okay. And the funny thing is that we were on the road outside Sharon's house, but Sharon and I hadn't seen each other in about 10 years, but we would have worked together 20 years ago. And I spent three months trying to kind of get insurance, get myself together. And I actually went to a person that I had met at the first AA meeting who had chaired that meeting and I said can you give me advice on how to get the room how do I get the space how do I create the the space and the first piece of advice he said to me was you need a committee and I was like what can I not just do this all by myself like because I didn't know how I was going to find people I was like I need to get it going and then involve people and he said no you need at least five and I was like okay but I hadn't even gone any further with that so I'm in the local JC's, big shout out to Swords. Um, and I'm there and it was on Friday morning and I bumped into Sharon at the, the meets and I was like, Sharon, I'm setting up a grief support group because I knew Sharon had experienced loss very recently. And I just wanted to say to her that I was trying my best to get this off the ground. And then God, Sharon said, let's get involved. And Sharon, you t- can you tell me then what your story is? So the funny thing so I lost my like Louise I have plenty of grief in my in my life but I lost my sister it'll be two years next month to cancer and it was over a three-year period where she got kidney cancer and was given the all clear and I remember the day that she after the operation it was like looking at the old Colette again she got four months and then very rare thing to happen it traveled in her bloodstream to her left foot and really from then she never got a break from the pain COVID hit and for a lot of people for COVID it was this nightmare but for me it was an absolute blessing because I would I do a council would never been I never worked from home before in my life we live next door to each other we're married to brothers uh, we were reared as twins we left Ireland together we lived in England together um, we came home and we built houses next door to each other. So we've done, from the day, we're 14 months between us. So for, I've always had Clet in my life. When she was pregnant, I wouldn't go out. I used to sit with her and vice versa. So I had a, the blessing of being able to get into the bed beside her when she was having her bad days and helping her with the pain and all that. And then she decided for pain management, she'd get her leg amputated. She was never going to be cured. So she got the leg amputated, and uh, take your time. Take your time. We've always said, "Cheat." We just could be an hour. Just could be three hours. Well, it's just because it's still so raw. She got the leg amputated, and then she got um, probably about a month or two after that. Um, and through all of that, she wanted to get this tattooed on the tree of life. So I made a promise that we'd get it done, and I bought her a tree of life. Um, ring and necklace and that became our thing um anyway she got the cancer moved into her stomach and i was there when she got the call about the kidney i was there when she got the call about the foot i was with her when she got the call about the the stomach and literally she she never was never out of pain 
and then um, her husband rang me one night to say she just wasn't well and I went up and I remember putting my hand on her and you know when someone is dead they're cold she was just ice cold and I knew myself that we were in trouble and she ended up having sepsis so I was with her when she was told it was terminal um, myself and her husband um, and the, I was out to bring her out to Scaries that Saturday and she was out to buy two tops and her sense of humour right to the end she just said to me well, that was a waste of time buying them new tops, wasn't it? You know, so I actually said to Brian, I have to put one of them tops on her. But she lasted six days, so I never went home. Myself and her husband and her sons, we just slept on the floor for the six days. We never left the room. So for me, this is like losing. It's my other half. It's the best way of putting it. So I remember saying to my husband, I went and did the Camino that first year because I went into straight into dealing with her debt and doing all the organisation I wrote the eulogy and all that um, and I just felt like I was sinking and never come up for air so I decided I wanted to walk so I did the Portuguese Camino and I did it the first year after debt I met Louise actually when I was doing it the first time and we got chatting in Jaycee's shout out but the second time I think is really the most meaningful time I was actually the day the Friday Louise met me I was going on to finish the Camino and I was panicking thinking what am I going to do Are you, am I going to be better but I knew it wasn't going to be better so I was getting myself into an emotional state thinking where do I go from here because I knew I hadn't touched it and I just said it was faith that Louise walked in to me that day and said to me about setting up a group because my husband was going on about counselling and all that and it just didn't feel right for me one-to-one counselling. I'm a more of a people person. And it was a sense of peace when you said that to me because I said, I have a plan now where to go from here. So that's how I came aboard the committee with Louise. It was meeting Louise in Jaycee's and saying to me, Do you find, are you willing to help me? And I said, absolutely, kept me in. Then, <laughs> so then, <laughs> we had Marie. <laughs> so I went to, there's a really wonderful page on Instagram, Grief Ireland, and that's where I first done, and I would say it's the most healing part of my grief journey was Stuart died during COVID. I was, it was 26th of April, so it was the first lockdown. He had a funeral of six people, so there was nobody around me. I was completely alone. Um, I was so blessed with my mom. She's the most amazing woman. Um, but, like, I thought I was going to kill her. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you're just locked down with your close family. So uh, i done the Grief Ireland talk. It was a podcast. I love Cathy. She does and great things. She Ooh. does. The, and my mom says she'll always remember the night I came down into the sitting room after talking. She was like, it was like someone had taken bricks off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Because I got to tell Stuart's story. As far, yeah. Because... He didn't get a funeral, so I felt nobody got to do justice for Stuart because his he was the bravest, most courageous man I've ever come across in how he faced everything. And he he used to say he was the toughest motherfucker, and he really was, and I'm sorry for cursing, but, like, it, it, things that he got through and achieved. So I met Cathy then and done my talk. She then put up that she was doing uh, grief retreats. Yeah. And on a whim... I was like, I'm going to this retreat. I was like, I'm going to this retreat. So it was lastminute.com. Fiona came with me on the retreat. (laughs) And I was lastminute.com. She was (laughs) lastminute.com. You're always (laughs) lastminute.com. Stormy (laughs) life. But 
we met Marie and her sister Orla at the grief retreat. So we became friends and we connected. But then it was around June. We hadn't mm-hmm. seen each other since the retreat. We decided to get a cup of coffee in Relish one Sunday morning. Big shout out to all the local businesses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to get this, uh, your, your, your little community sponsored by, by these yeah. companies. Yeah. Um, if they want to do any tea services for yeah. the group, we will accept. <laughs> but Marie and I were chatting and I, just, I was just expressing to Marie that everything that I had felt at the grief retreat, I wanted to kind of capture and have weekly. Because I just it done me the world of good, but I wanted that. It, there's something about coming into a room with people that have a shared experience or you're on a similar timeline that they say something and you go, oh my God, you've just hit the nail on the head. You just, just you said everything that I feel inside, but I haven't been able to get the words. Mm. And that's what happened when I went to the Grief Ireland retreat. But Marie then kindly said at that meeting or at that coffee, it wasn't a meeting, but she was like, oh, I'd, I'd love to help. And I was like, so it was so organic how it happened. Mm. And each one of us is so different. Um, but so different. That's how I. That's how Marie. You would. I can see. I can see, you, I can like, see oh, that. Which is. I can people? see it. No, I can see but it. But it's truly yeah. late that we're all here. Yeah. But that's when Marie decided to come on board. And why did you join? Why did you decide to come on board? So um, I lost. Pull it right into you. There you go. See, and you cool. at least make yourself comfortable then. Cool. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lost both my mom and dad. Um, so my mom died twenty years ago this year, a week before Christmas. Um, from sudden adult death syndrome so she was only 51 when she died suddenly at home and um, there's three in my family my brother, my sister and Orla that Louise was saying um, she actually found her at home with my dad and um, that's why Orla did the grief retreat with Cathy um, or the podcast, sorry, with Cathy so at the time when mum died we didn't really know what this was so it's basically it's associated with people um the die suddenly, like footballers, like Cormac McAnall and um, people on the pitch. But because mum was 51, we're like, what was this? So this went on for like nearly a year before we actually knew what mum died from. Um, and then there's a really good, um, it's a place down in Tala called the Cry Centre, so cardiac risk in the young. Mm-hmm. And the doctor, who's amazing, Dr Deirdre Ward, is down there and they basically set that up free for people if they had been affected by what mum died from so then we had to get screened for it so we all got screened in Tala over the years and Helen she's the most amazing nurse down there and Debbie and everyone they're just so friendly they get they do get um money now but at the time when they started started out in prefab so basically they started out from nothing to what they've grown to now so we actually met last two weeks ago we had um a get together day down in Barberstown Castle and there was Brezzy was a speaker there and it was just lovely to see that you weren't the only person because for years I used to always think are we the only family that we've lost someone and then it transpired that it was younger teenagers and um, just it's good to know that you're not the only person out there. So then um, mam died as I say 20 years ago and I'd be really close to my dad and then for Fifteen and a half years, I now know what I had. It's called anticipatory grief, where you're basically anticipating that your person is going to pass away. And um, my dad died four years ago from cancer. So thankfully, it was just before COVID hit. So we had that time to spend with dad. So 
I work here in Dublin. I'm in Dublin 20 years, um, and I just went home to Clare to my dad, as did my brother and sister. Um, Orla was living abroad at the time in Abu Dhabi, and she came home to help with dad, and Brian was here as well. So it was a different death in that dad we knew was going to die. Mam didn't, so it was a sudden and um, a terminal illness. And um, we often said after mam died, like, what way would be better? Would it be better this way that someone dies suddenly or so there is no better way to die there is no and everyone asks that question yeah and i don't know why but everyone yeah. does kind of say There's would you rather yeah, yeah exactly because yeah. looking back like i literally spoke to mom an hour before she died and she died at sorry she died at um 25 past 11 on the 15th of december and I was woken, I was living in Cork at the time, three hours from home, and I was woken by my friend in the house that I shared. And to this day, I don't like the dark, I don't like ambulances. Even when I was coming over here, there was an ambulance, and it just freaked me out. Um, so triggers like that, just 20 years later, do you know what I mean? It's just, I can't sleep in the same room that I found out her mum died in. Um, they just, it's, it's things like that. Um, and then with Dad, obviously we had that time with him, and looking back, it was great to have... We had 19 weeks with dad and he was he, like that. He was very witty. Like he, he lost his hair with the treatment of cancer and then he just make funny jokes like, oh, it's just a longer face to wash. And just kind of, he, he just kind of accepted it. And I used to always say to dad, like I was petrified that he was going to die or he'd be found dead in the garden. He has a lovely garden at home. And because he lived on his own then and obviously he never got over um, dying. Like you never get over it. You learn to live with it. And I said to him one day, I just don't want you to die. And he said, but I will die. Like, I'm going to die. Brian's going to die. Orla's going to die. We're all going to die. But it's just kind of, we have to enjoy what we have now. And even when he was dying in the hospital and stuff, um, he was like, look, we just have, we have today. And then if tomorrow comes, that's a bonus. So it's just kind of a, a combination of losing mom so young. I was only 21 when mom died. And then I was 36 when dad died. And then that whole, for 16 years, having anticipated grief, I thought it was going mad half the time. You'd wake up in the middle of the night with this pain in your chest. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? And like, as Louise said, you'd be looking up groups. I'd literally be there in the middle of the night looking up. What is this feeling? Until I went to counselling and it was like, you have anticipated grief. This is when dad was still alive. So I had to deal with that, that one day he will die and my brother and sister will die and my husband will die. And, you know, it's just kind of to accept that. But once it kind of accepted that then it was like okay we're all gonna die and it's just did you accept life. it i accepted the anticipatory grief bit and that was through counseling and talking to dad because i was saying to him come up to live with us in county meet and he was like but i'm happy at home and he did say this is ever before he got sick he was like if it's a case that the day comes that i can't mind myself or i'm an older person i'll come live with you then um but yeah, so I accepted that, okay, one day he's going to die, and after that you kind of, um, you accept it, that's fine. But actually the year before dad got sick, he um, he nearly died from an aneurysm. He had to be flown from County Clare up to Galway in a helicopter, and he nearly did die. So it was always that kind of um, expecting it. So And because I live four hours away from home, it was always that kind of the dreaded phone call, because you got mm-hmm. the dreaded phone call before 
you're kind of expecting it again. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I wonder how many people suffer from that because oh, yeah. oh, a lot. I only yeah. heard what it was. Oh, yeah, it's the first time hearing. I didn't. Yeah. I was I literally, yeah, I was literally for years thinking, "Am I mad? Am I crazy? What is wrong with me?" And even thinking back now, that pain in my chest, I would literally wake up in the dark, and it was like someone had weights from the gym on your chest. I'm like, "What is wrong with me?" I remember going to work some days, and I'd be crying in work, and someone, the girl sat beside me, said, "You have a cold," and I was like, "Yeah, I have a cold." because my eyes were so red, mm-hmm. but because I was so upset. And then so I remember one day specifically, and my friend Grace will know this because she was with me the same day, I couldn't get Dad on the phone. And like I'm 40 this, uh, 41 this year, and I'd ring Dad, and he'd always answer the phone. And there was one day he went to visit his sister in a nursing home, because she was sick at the time, and he left his phone at home, and I couldn't get through to him. So I had rang my brother in Galway to say, you need to go down to basically find dad because he's died and he's like what are you talking about I was like no I'm telling you dad's dead I can't get through to him so I was panicking and catastrophizing in my head that dad was dead and then eventually like five hours later um he was down he met a friend that he knew in the nursing home and he was talking to him and he had his phone left at home a basic thing um but because I was just panicking I was convinced that yeah. it's like as if my counselor said your body prepares you for the worst that's happened before. So you're like, oh, well, I may as well just say in my head it's going to happen. So you're not going to be as in shock. Yeah. So it's. I get that. I, you know this. I get that with every phone call. Yeah. So yeah. Really? If I ring yeah. somebody and they don't answer the phone, I initially go. Or oh, should pull that into you a little bit? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Any phone call. If I was ringing Louise and she didn't answer the phone, I'd be like, oh my God, what's wrong? She didn't answer the phone. Yeah. Mm. And straight away I go into something's happened. It goes straight to the bad thing. Um, if somebody doesn't answer a text message, it's particularly my family. But I never realised that that yeah. was because I never did counsel or anything like that. Mm. And it's like your body protecting you as well. Yeah, it's like, said, sure if there's a, or like you'd, I'd go into my dad's bedroom and he'd look dead, but he'd be asleep. And I literally one morning was like, oh, feck him, I don't care if he's dead. I'm just going to go to work anyway. Sure, like, I'll find out that he's dead later on. And in my mm-hmm. head, he was dead. But he was just asleep. Like, it's mad for your brain. We actually had that discussion the other day coming home in the car. Yeah. So, um, Dad used to, so in my home house, my room and Dad's room are beside each other. And he used to snore. And then I, I have really sensitive hearing. And one night he wasn't snoring. So I was like, that's it, he's dead like he, he said so this was maybe six years ago so dad's gone four years and I remember literally tiptoeing into him and he was like there was no noise and I leaned over him like as in you would a baby to see are they breathing and he literally he literally he was like what the f and I'm like oh no it's fine you're alive and he was like what are you doing and I'm like no I just want to see you're not dead and he was like well, clearly I'm not dead we just go to bed but it's that himself. panic it's the <laughs> I gave myself a fright yeah, then yeah. but it's just yeah I think, though, that, like, if you experience... So my dad was a uh, sudden death as well. And I think if you experience sudden death, where it's... in, It depends how the person dies. When you have the... So a lot of us probably have experienced the illness and, the, and you have that time, your grieving kind of starts when it's a serious illness. But like that, with the sudden death, like my dad was cutting the grass. He went in to change the pet, get some, a petrol tank and he collapsed in the shed. So it's... You're talking to him normally, and he was a fit. He was only 69, talking to him normally one day. Then you get a phone call the next day to say he's had a massive brain hemorrhage and he's dead. So it is that different. So, like, I would have been the same with mom. Mom died um, four months ago. That when you couldn't get her on the phone, 
it was like a mad dash. Everybody was flying down to the house just to see, is she alive? Yeah, so I totally get that. Mm. Yeah, it's and that it's kind panic. of scary, kind of very scary. It's, yeah, it doesn't it frighten me as much now because obviously mum and dad aren't here, but like I would literally be in work, I would be that night, I was with Grace and sorry, that's what I was saying. I was actually over in Scaries having dinner with my friends and uh, I literally had to leave Stoops in Scaries to tell them I'm driving home to West Clare and they're like, okay. And then when my dad eventually did get home, he rang me and he was like, what's the panic? In a jokey way. And mm. I was like, where were you? But like he knew then, like even if you go to funerals at home in Clare, um, he literally rings and I'm going to the funeral, so don't be panicking. As an adult, mm. he'd be telling me this up until before mm. he got sick. So that And that happened the day with the helicopter, then I couldn't get through to him. So I ended up bringing dad's doctor, who was his friend. And... Um, that's how I found out that dad was in the helicopter on the way to, to Galway. And that's a panic. Then you have to go from County Meath down to, to Galway and traffic in Galway and trying to... So my mother-in-law came with me and I don't know how it got down, but it just did. But it's just kind of that panic. And then from... That's how I met Louise and Fiona. From all that from grief, um, as I say, my sister Orla did the, the podcast. And for my birthday last year... Um, because everything with COVID and we said we'd do a thing so she bought me um, the grief retreat for dead people for my birthday so it's the best present because I met these lovely people I met Louise and Fiona so yeah. down in um, down in um, Galway and Cathy Stritch is just the nicest nicest person and she's just so friendly and she has her other business the fitness on the side which is just great you could do it online at home and everything and she's just such a lovely personality mm. so from that then I met Louise and Fiona and obviously Audrey and Sharon and that's how we obviously I live up here and um, met uh, Louise one day for coffee and we said if you can help anybody else because just as I say with mum's thing you just we didn't know at the time and now with dad's thing dad died from cancer and if it can help anybody even basic things I was thinking last night like guys to wake up in the middle of the night and you'd be looking for counsellors or when I got married for months I was online I just did not want to face the whole thing it's like the mother of the bride and the mother of the bride is that is that so hard like is that so like hard. Yeah. the hardest thing you can yeah. go through so I literally so my mum's sister, Anita, who has actually since passed away this year, she was my surrogate mum. And she was just she was just an amazing person. And mum and her were, like, they're sisters and they're best friends like you and Colette. And mm. so in a way now, like, they're together. I do believe in heaven. I do believe they're together. But when I got married, it was just, you're going to have to go shopping for the wedding dress. Now, thank God, my mother-in-law is alive and she's the nicest lady. So she came with me and I have another... Mommy's friend Anne, who's just an amazing woman, and she came with me. So we kind of I turned the negative into a positive that we kind of had a girly day. But on the day, Anita was my stepping mom, and um, Dad and her just got on so well together. We're married six years now, and both of them have gone. There's actually there's eight people dead from our wedding, and we're only married six years. And uh, so it is. It's it's crap that thing, mm. but you just have to you just have to make the most of it, and you just kind of have to like. We had ways to remember Mum on the day we had um, we had her photo. Obviously, we had a, a wreath made for the grave, and we had um, we brought down a balloon. But it's like looking back on the wedding day and the pictures with the most amazing day. But you're going down to the grave letting off a balloon. Do you know what I mean? So those things are hard, but you just have to make the most of it. And we have mm. little um, 
forget-me-not flowers that we gave to people and we sold them. So every time they come up in the spring, I always think, come on. Mm. And now for Dad, we have um, the chrysanthemum flowers that he actually gave to my mother-in-law and she gave to me. So it's kind of ways to... And I have little angel flowers in the garden to remember them and hydrangeas, so they're called the mum and dad flowers. So you just do what you have to... Mm. To remember them in different ways, do you know? So, mm. yeah. yeah, it's tough. But meeting the girls and meeting people, kind of, and going to counselling, kind of, and counselling isn't for everyone either. Some people just don't like to use that, don't you? I, yeah, I'm <laughs> not like any of them. <laughs> I, um, I've known Louise for, oh, well, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> in Audrey's introduction, I have to, I have to give Audrey a special introduction because Audrey put up with me now. For, we're going on 12, nearly 13 years. We work together. Um, and if it wasn't for Audrey, I don't think I would have survived Stuart's illness because Audrey was my rock. And I went, I, st- I had worked the entire time that Stuart was sick, but every morning we would have breakfast together and Audrey would be there for breakfast to look at me crying. She was the shield for when people would say absolutely ridiculous comments. She was the one that would turn the awkward situation into a funny situation. But she also was there the day that Stuart had his liver transplant and I was left in the hospital on my own for hours. Um, Different people disbanded and went home and that's allowed. People are allowed to do whatever they need to do. But in the evening time, it was Audrey, it was my mother and it was my sister-in-law that were the people that were there with me when we got the report to say how well he had done in his transplant. But Audrey is the most special friend and that's why... Um, no she is she's an amazing friend and she has been phenomenal throughout everything so um, it was it was an easy thing to put the pressure on her of saying will you be in the grief support group (laughs) and put pressure she did (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna lie the only reason I did it well the main reason I did it was because Louise asked me and I felt like not that I felt like I couldn't say no but I I couldn't say no and for Stuart and everything um, I I um, God, I wouldn't even know where to start with the grief I've gone through, to be honest. Um, they call me the Black Widow, put it that way. Um, the majority of my grief comes from tragic, sudden deaths, and I mean tragic. So that's where all that anxiety for me comes from. But I never had a word for it before until I met Marie. Um, and I was like, oh my God, that makes sense now, like the panic. Um, but I suppose to minimize it down into the ones that I still find the most traumatic would be um, my best friend who you know mm. Fav um, God rest him uh, uh, he committed suicide when we were 17 and that was absolutely horrific for me like horrific uh, it was New Year's Eve and I was the last one to speak to him on the phone and I was meant to go meet him and I never ended up getting there on time and uh, so that kind of set the anxiety, the afraid of the dark. I'm like Marie. I was, I couldn't sleep with a light off, and my dad would be like, "Do you think we're made of money?" You know, and so I'd get up in the middle of the night and I'd just leave the house and go walking and just to like do something so I wasn't annoying my mum and dad in the house. And um, that was when I was 17. It's a very long time ago. Um, and then uh, 19 years ago, my younger sister, so she was 20 and I was 25 at the time, um, went on a night out. Um, but we got uh, a knock on the door at like two o'clock in the morning from two policemen to say, look, we have this body. 
this is the ID, is this your daughter kind of thing. So all hell broke loose then, obviously. Um, and again, tragic. Uh, like for the inquest, we had to listen to the 999 call that was made hours later than it should have been. And we could hear her in the background, obviously struggling. Like it was horrific. Uh, so there was there was years of investigations and all kinds of things into the whole situation so um we didn't even get to start to grieve for her for a a long time until that was kind of settled and we realized right okay we're gonna just have to deal with this unfortunately my mom never recovered from that so um massive depression drank too much you know the usual an amazing mother but unfortunately she died with my sister that day um and then she died four years ago, 2018. Sorry, I always look to Louise and go, when did that happen? Um, so we, I was at home in Laytown with my son and I had my phone on silent underneath my pillow. And it was six o'clock in the morning and I heard my son's phone ringing and I was like, oh no. Like I knew, like you just kind of know. Um, and then he went hysterical and it was my dad on the phone screaming and crying that he couldn't wake my mum. So we jumped into the car, made my bed before I left. My <laughs> Anxiety, it's the weirdest thing what you do. Um, so jumped into the car, uh, went up you. I think I rang you on the way or something today because I just remember Louise being outside my mum's house and I was like, what are you doing here? It's like seven o'clock in the morning. Um, but she was well dead. Uh, and the weirdest thing is she died in my sister's bed. <laughs> Because she couldn't, oh, they'd been cleaning out the wardrobe or something. And my mum's like, I'm not putting all that stuff back in the wardrobe. So she says, you just sleep in Orge's bed and I'll sleep in Margaret's bed. So I now call that box room the dead room. Never sleep in it. Sorry, I lie. I've slept in it once. And I was really drunk. And I come home and I was like, see you if you want to come out and see me now. you know. And then I woke up like half seven in the morning. I was like, oh my God, I'm in the dead room. Get, get me, me out. out, get me out, get me out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like I've had, I've had, I've, I've had deaths around me that people have been sick. My cousin Wendy was really young um, and died of cancer. My auntie and my uncle died of cancer. Like I, I've had, I've dealt with deaths where... There's an illness, but the majority of them have been suicides or just mad mental deaths. Last year, my nephew, um, he was 10. And I call him my nephew, and this is really hard for me because to me, he was my nephew, but he wasn't blood related. It was my best friend at the time, son. Um, but he lived with me for a couple of years, him and his little brother. Um, um, I was his auntie Audrey and... I can't Stop. call him anything else yeah. other than my nephew. Um, and he died tragically um, just over a year ago at the age of 10. So, tragedy, tragi- for me, it's more tragedy. Tragedy? Tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't do that. This is probably the most. I talk a little bit in group. How I talk in group is beyond me because this is the whole thing about why the group is amazing. I was like, oh, I'm going to end up going to that group and sitting there and being like, you know, get me out of here every week and I'm not going to talk and because I don't do counselling. I don't, like, I'm real. Open the filing cabinet, put it in. Oh, that person died, really? No way, I didn't know that. You know, I don't really think about it. I like to think they're on holiday and sometimes I pretend they didn't even exist unless I actually have to. It's just my way, way of dealing with it. 
Um, that might be right, might be wrong, but I've gotten to 44 and I'm still here and I'm happy and positive. Well, I'd like there to think no so. There is no way around. Yeah. Um, but now in group, I find I talk about things and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that. Don't I be to you? God, I can't believe I said that last night. I can't believe I actually spoke. So it goes to show you, even though you mightn't think it's right for you or you might think, oh, that wouldn't be for me to even just come and give it a go. And, you know, it's an hour once in your life if you if you even go and try it i think that's the best thing about the group and before we move on um to fiona because you know we i get still get dms about you (laughs) yeah um and i absolutely need to include you in this conversation audrey can i ask you about your mom um because we find this is a situation where when a child dies the mom or dad does die with them yeah and how you know, I know you say, how difficult is that as a child just wanting their mum to be their mum? Oh, like, it's horrific. It genuinely, it's horrific. And I went through phases with her where I would shout and scream at her and I'd be like, you know, how dare you be like this? And I would blame her for loads of things. And I'm like, you know, you still have kids. My son was only six at the time when Margaret died. And um, I think as hard as it was and it took me such a long time and in fact Louise is probably the one that helped me get to the place that I got because you are a very sensible person to talk to most of the time Um, but I kind of had to just accept that it wasn't her rejection of me or her not wanting to be my mum it was just she actually didn't have the ability to do that and you know, I always think, well, maybe if you stop drinking, you'd be able to do it. And, you know, maybe if you did this, you'd be able to do it. And other people lose kids and they're able to get up and function every day. But I'm like, that doesn't mean that what she was doing was wrong either. So I think once I accepted that, that's just the mom I have, which was hard. Our relationship got a lot better. I stopped blaming her and she stopped blaming me because she blamed me for a long time because, you know, I was Margaret's big sister and how could I let this happen? And, you know, there was a lot of blame, a lot of anger, you know, that went with that whole situation. Um, And I got married as well uh, since my mum passed away and I didn't give it, not that I didn't give it one thought, but I didn't really think about it until the wedding dress shop and then I was like, oh my God, my mum's not going to be here and I'm I'm like, who else is going to look at me in the dress, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is hard, but I think once you just accept that it's, it's not their fault, you know, the same way as it's not my fault that things happen and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you just have acceptance, I feel like is probably the biggest word in grief all around, regardless of what has happened. It takes a long time to get there then, I think, as well. Yeah. You were asking me there about acceptance, like it's kind of only now, 20 years later, that I've accepted my mum is gone. Like, for five years, I, like, that thought she was gone on holidays. Mm-hmm. I came home from college one day, and I was painting the house, and I just said to Dad, Mum's gone, isn't she? And mm-hmm. he was like, yeah. That was literally five years later. Because you kind of, like like Audrey said, you kind of think they're gone on holidays, or you don't have to um, face reality. You know, because it's easier to come home from college at the weekend and just, oh, she's gone with her friends or... Yeah. Because when you face reality, then you're like, oh, that's kind of shit. And it's funny, when my mum passed away, I nearly had... We spoke about this in group last week. And um, the reason I'm bringing it up is because I'm sure people out there feel like this and they wouldn't want to admit that they felt like this. But when my mum passed away, once the initial shock, you know, when we got to see her 
the next day or maybe it was the day after that in the funeral home I actually just cried relief for her and it wasn't that I I, I wasn't obviously I was devastated that my mom had died but I was actually so happy for her I just felt peace standing beside her and I don't really do the whole stand beside the coffin and hold their hands and kissing them and I it's just can't do it like I've seen too many dead people I'm like no can't do it but I actually felt so peaceful for her and I was actually happy for her and I think that helped me was it relief for yourself as well probably yeah probably that I didn't have to worry about her anymore and Mm. you know now don't get me wrong that then turned on to went on to my dad Mm. as you know it does but thankfully he's amazing now and he doesn't drink and not like I make them out to be mad alcoholics like they like to drink um but he's amazing now and he does amazing on his own and you know he's come a long way but yeah I think relief for me relief for us all I think in a way because she didn't live for a long time and it's horrible looking at somebody that I used to sit I used to go out to my mom I'd be like do you know Stuart like look at Stuart and he'd give anything to live and he'd give anything for this that and the other and you're just killing yourself and she just didn't really care but she was the most like kind and caring woman because there would have been nights coming home from the hospital I would have called in to collect order we just have company driving home because Stuart was in Vincent's hospital and I couldn't live alone, obviously, God forbid. So I had to go to my mother's, which is quite close to Ordry, in Betty's town. But every time I'd go in, her mom would be so, how is Stuart? What is it? Like, she had so much compassion in her. Yeah, once she, she was supposed to off her kitchen sofa. <laughs> Everyone could come and talk to me. And she was, she was the most amazing mother, amazing person. But unfortunately, once Margaret died... My mom died as well. And, yeah. I have to say, I kind of found that too, because it's funny, like, Colette died in November, and mom didn't even last two years after she died. Now she, mom was in a wheelchair, so she was disabled, So, but she wouldn't even come in to see her in the coffin. She didn't get to say goodbye to her. Like, and from the hospital, I rang everybody, so when I held the phone up to Colette's ear so mom could say goodbye. But I don't think she ever accepted it, um, she was constantly talking about Colette and it was just a sadness about her. Do you know that kind of a yeah. way? And it just, she just never got over it. No, Can I ask, it was like a, a weird question, because like, the only grief that I have, I have my two friends, but the recent one like it was Robbie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and this might be really stupid, and apologies. No such thing as stupid Like, grief is so crazy. Yeah. But, the question is it a choice in the sense that you didn't you could have died the day Colette died and yeah. you didn't is it a choice can I just say thank you for saying that yeah. because I have said since Stuart died I made a choice yeah. and mm. my choice was I will choose to live and be happy yeah and I do that for mm. him now, that's my mm. choice but when I say I do that because of Stuart, so the reason why it's called a sip of support is Stuart, after his transplant and being so sick, every morning he'd get up and he'd be like, make a, make a, and it'd be like a ritual. It was like the coffee had to be put down. It had to be a certain way. He'd be brewing it for hours. It was like, oh my God, just drink the fucking thing. Mm. Like, and I, I regret that now that I was, like, no, that's, everybody will have moments with their like spouse where they're just like, Jesus, just drink the coffee. Yeah. But mm. what my point is, he savoured every 
sip. He savoured every sunrise. He savoured every moment. He made the most of every second of those three and a half years that he got uh, as a gift. And that showed me that I'm here to live and this is still a gift that I'm here. But it was a choice. So when people say to me, you're so strong, bugs the life out of me. Because it's like, I'm not. We just made I a choice. I choose to make myself, like, and my, do you know, my mom, my mom was widowed at 52. My dad, when I was 23, we were on holidays. And the last morning we went down for a coffee, came back up to the hotel room and my dad had had a brain hemorrhage in the, the bedroom. And he, so that's my loss of my mm. dad. But my mom was very young. So in some ways I'm lucky I had the inspiration of a woman that also chose to be strong she chose and I don't mean strong she chose to live and she chose to live for me and my brother Aidan and we're so lucky to have the mother that we have and how she used to put her makeup on and do her hair and she always looks gorgeous like but it then showed me in my grief at 37 get up wash yourself put your makeup on you don't feel like it get out go for the walk do those things you don't like when I say to you you don't feel like it. it's the last thing that you yeah. want to do mm. that all i had was a dog that's the only thing that i had to get yeah, up for me. i know <laughs> no but it was and that's one thing that i and that's how we be connected so yeah. well because i didn't know anybody else that had been widowed that um and i know some people have a problem with that word but i actually i embrace it i embrace it and i am a widow and i will always be Stuart's wife but i choose to live my life and i want to live it to the full um and i want to continue on with life and live it in every sense of the word meet somebody else move forward that doesn't in any way disrespect the love and ad- adoration that i will always hold in my heart for Stuart. he will always be my husband yeah. that doesn't mean i i won't get married again but you have to be rich and fiona like we and this is why when i when i seen this group um on instagram i think kathy actually shared it i think that's how i seen it and then i think i seen you share it and i was like is this you <laughs> like are, are you doing this what's going on so I know like a lot of my listeners and even Natalie who will be I promise you she'll be in your group next week and she'll have you all his head <laughs> very well um but I like no she's gone back and started to listen all of so my I, they will listen they will like the fans will be like Fiona fans like do you know what I mean they will be <laughs> so but just for those who just new to the, to the podcast can you tell me again about Keith yeah well I won't go on for two hours this time <laughs> I don't I promise. <laughs> um, so I met Keith. Well, I always knew Keith. We grew up in Baldoyle, small town. We always knew of each other, didn't know each other. Um, until my older sister started going out with her now husband, which was one of Keith's best friends. Um, and then I started tagging along on nights out because my friends weren't going out as much and I was dying to go out. So I'm tagging along with my older sister and I think it was around my 21st, it was about a week after my 21st birthday and me and Keith had a drunken kiss and then he asked me out on a date and then we went to festivals and we just got on straight away. It like, just a huge hit. Um, so it was my 21st birthday, then got engaged, got married, just, yeah, we just had an amazing life together, an amazing relationship, we were best friends, um, best friends, he was, he didn't ever believe in soulmates, but I did. I was like, no, we are soulmates, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> 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 
But uh, yeah, we were perfectly imperfect. That's what we used to say. Um, throughout our relationship, Keith had ups and downs uh, with depression, anxiety. Um, the funniest man in like the world ever. Um, and anyone that ever met him would agree. Even if they met him for two seconds, they'd be like, yeah, he is the funniest person. Um, lit up every room, every time. Even like all after he died, everyone would say like you when you walked into a party, you know, when you're walking in on your own or you're just everyone gets a bit nervous before mm. going to an event and everyone would just look for Keith, six foot, seven and a half. They'd look for Keith and go, right, I'm safe. I'm going to stand beside him because he just made everyone feel OK and safe. And if anyone ripped a piss out of you, he was the quickest like the quickest person with a comeback and he'd be like, no, I'm sticking up for this person. I'm going to hit you with a comeback. And yeah, he was just brilliant. He was just an amazing person. Um, but he did suffer with his depression and anxiety. Um, he opened up to me probably about three years into the relationship about it. And we talked about him going to counsel and he was like, no, Grant, I don't need that. I was like, okay. Like Audrey. It's <laughs> like, okay, okay. And he did talk to me about it. And he thought that would be enough. That was fine. Then he went to the GP once and he got prescribed antidepressants or I don't know what the name of them was, but he got prescribed them. And pretty soon after that, then he had a mental breakdown, which I kind of, he pushed me away for about six months. Um, so I ended up moving back into my mum's. Well, my mum and dad's. I always say my mum's. My mum and dad's. You never told me that. Did I not? No. Well, they're no exclusive. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you never told me that. Did I not no. mention that? No. Awesome. no. Well, there you go. Um, so he pushed me away, and then we came back together. Anyway, it was always going to happen. Uh, but in those six months, I went travelling a lot, and this is why I keep going at all this mm. now. Um, and I just, like, when we split up that time, I was like, right, he doesn't want me to help him. I would if I could, but he needs his own time and his own space to focus on himself. So I gave it to him. Um, obviously, I kept in touch with his family and friends, and they'd give mm. me updates on him and stuff, because mm. obviously I still cared and I still loved him. And then we started texting, and then we'd start, like, we started seeing each other and going on walks, and then we got back together and I moved back in, and then we got engaged, and then we had... The best wedding ever. And then we started trying to have a baby. And that wasn't working. So we were trying and trying and trying. And I'm looking up, like, what am I doing wrong? Gave up to smokes for a year. Gave up to drink for a year. Saw somewhere that if you ate avocado and pineapple, that it helped. So I'm mm. like, it was actually during a lockdown when I read it. And Keith got his younger sister, Nicola, to drop in pineapples and avocado to me. Because <laughs> oh, I couldn't get them. So she, like, knocks on the door and then runs back six feet. And she's like, Keith, how would you get to these? I was like, thanks. So I was like, living on pineapple and avocado. Paul, open that window, will you please? I think it might be a bit warm, is it? Yeah. Yeah, go on. Um, so, yeah. And my older sister had been gone, had had her baby through IVF. So it was all just a bit heavy. So we started doing IUI. First round didn't work. And we were, go- like, absolutely good. Because you get, like, when you're trying to get pregnant and it's not working, it's like consuming. 
like it was all I was thinking about and like pissing on sticks trying to get a smiley face down ovulating and it's just devastating and it's just you just feel like it's so unfair and you're just like why me and then people around you are getting pregnant and of course you're happy for them but you're so sad for yourself and you feel like a selfish bitch for being like oh that's great like it is great and it's an amazing thing for that person but I couldn't give a fuck because this is what's happening to me um but yeah so the first round didn't work and we were like, right, positive pants on, it's fine, we're going to do another one, it's grand, the second one's going to work, it's fine, I'll eat more avocados and I'll have another thing of pineapple, fine. <laughs> so, we were ready. I need to look this up. I'm, and, uh, I'm telling you, oh, it's probably like page 205 in Google search, it's like I was I like, I didn't know Orchie wanted another baby. Oh yeah, my gosh, exclusive. <laughs> so then, yeah, so then we were like, right, we're going to do it. Keith got into, it was during lockdown, we had a a great lockdown like you were saying it was like we never had that quality time mm. Keith was off work I was working from home we'd have lunch together every day we'd do a workout when I was finished work we'd cook dinner together and I'm not a great cook but he'd, he'd try and teach me and like just we went on what we just had a lovely time then Keith went back to work and he got in a car crash um, nothing serious, everyone was fine um, It was in his work van And he was out for a week With his neck And obviously the job just wanted to be safe Because it happened like on mm. time or whatever So he was off for a week But during that week like He needed to be active To exercise, to be in his routine For his mind And during that week His neck was a bit sore, his back was sore So he couldn't mm keep up with his routine and he just went into a decline um so he was due back in work on the monday and then we were back in for our second round of iui on the tuesday yeah and then the monday the sunday night it was like oh, a bit anxious about going back into work and i was trying to like we talked about it. anytime he was feeling down he was so open with me like he would tell me everything that he was feeling and we'd come up with a plan or just sit in the feeling like just sometimes you have to sit in the feeling mm-hmm. and not be made feel like oh here's a tissue stop like mm. come on you're grand no we just sat in it mm. and then we'd come up with a plan of right what's the next step so we done that on the Sunday night the Monday morning rolled around he got up for work as normal now some when he was in a bad 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 way I'd wake up because he'd be getting sick in the toilet with anxiety. Like his whole stomach would just be too much and he would be puking. So I woke up to that on the Monday morning. I went out and I like didn't want anyone near him when he was getting sick or anything. But when he'd finished, I like gave him a hug and like calmed him down. And then I went back to bed straight back to sleep. And he came in, gave me a kiss, said, I love you. Bye. Grant, after work, he went, I got up went to work but I just had the weirdest feeling and like there's no way to describe I just I knew I just knew and then I didn't get like the usual morning text off him like you know he texts me every morning or I text him and he texts straight back like morning beautiful hope you have a great day and it was like a script it was like nearly the same message every day but it was so routine but we still meant it every morning um so yeah, I didn't get me message. And then he never texted me back. And he's so active in like group WhatsApps. Like my family, his family, 
the lads he had work lads he had lads he worked with 20 years ago he's still in a whatsapp group with and because he was so social like he would get social anxiety but he would never think like he was a social butterfly that's yeah. very good a, a social mott oh yeah mo. <laughs> um, he was a social superman <laughs> but yeah <laughs> so I text into like my family whatsapp group his family whatsapp group I was like has anyone heard from Keith this morning no so I text Kaylee my older sister's husband now or husband last time as well um because he obviously was good friends with Keith, so he'd be in the lads' WhatsApp. And I was like, has he put anything into the lads' WhatsApp? And he said, no. And I was like, right, that's weird. Because it'll always be, you know, funny videos and yeah. me- meme- memes. memes. Um, all that would be in straight away. Um, so that rang huge alarm bells for me then. So then I start ringing his phone. He's not answering. Rang his work phone. No answer. Then his phone phone turned off or was one one of the phones was turned off then so I rang the other one no answer just kept ringing out and I was like I know like I just knew so I left work at about I think it was 12 I don't know I think it was around 12 I wasn't doing anything anyway I was just sitting there ringing his phone like there was no work being done um and I walked out it was so weird so I'd been in touch with both families and we were all kind of texting 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 and you know, trying to get him and trying to see, like, what would be going on. And so I walked out of work. And as I walked out, I saw my sister's car coming up Marlborough Street to Abbey Street. And I was on the phone to her and I was like, is that you? And she's like, yeah, I just, I just thought I'm going to come and get you. Because, like, I think we have to go looking for him. And I was like, yeah. So I just hopped in the car. She's like, where do you want to go? I was like, Hout. So we went to Hout. But on the way, I rang the guards to report him missing. Uh, but they had already found him by that stage. But they couldn't tell me that. So they were like, no, go home. I was like, no, I'm going to out. Like, off I'm going to look for him. Thinking that I'd find him in a devastated yeah. way. Um, so we got to Hout, and he was in a replacement van because of the crash. So I didn't even know what the van was. I knew it was white. So I'm looking for, like, in windows of all the white vans and... Then they rang my sister's phone, the guards, and told her to bring me home. And as soon as I got that phone call, I was like, how'd they get your number? Why are they ringing you? Like, no, I just knew. So then we're driving, and then the whole time I'm like, no, he's in hospital. He's in hospital. Right. He tried it, but it didn't happen. He's grand. He's in hospital. He's in hospital. He's in hospital. And I was genuinely expecting to be put in a guard car and rushed to Bowman Hospital. Mm-hmm. And him, like, tubes, machines. I, I thought I was going to walk into that and that was going to be the worst thing. Mm. And then we got to the traffic lights. I used to live on a corner uh, at traffic lights and the traffic lights were red and I could just see four, three Garda cars, me mum and dad's car, four or five Garda standing at the door and I was like, no, he's not in hospital. But I couldn't get there because the light was red so I was just like... Just get me there, get me there. So then we got there, and I don't even think she stopped the car, jumped out of the car. But then, I think my brain was like, don't get there. You, you don't yeah, want to get there. Because then it's true. Like, yeah. you don't want that. So I just remember the guy that, like, he just held me by my arms, and he was like, he's gone. I think that's what he said anyway. Something along those lines. And I just, like, roared in his face. And I was like, no! And then he kind of let me go, and I just remember... My mum, my dad and my two sisters just like having to hold me up. 
like eight arms just holding me while I just was like gone. Um, and yeah, then his mum and dad arrived, I think with his brother as far as, you know, like foggy. But I think with his brother, and I remember seeing his mum's car pulling in, because we were all going to look for him. We just organised that everyone was going searching. And so then they pulled in, and I just remember being like, I can't Did tell them. Did they at this time? No, no, no. And I was like, I can't tell them. I can't tell them. I'm not. I can't be the one to say it to them. So I was like trying to get the guard to do it. And I just felt like he was moving in slow motion and like he wasn't going and they were going to get to me before he got to them. And I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't be the one to do it. But he did. He got to them. And I, I mean, it made no difference because I was right behind him. And as soon as he said it, I was just like yeah. with them. But yeah. And then, yeah, then it was during COVID, so we had not six, like Louise, um, but I think we had 40 in the funeral, but we were allowed to have 100 outside. Mm. So we had speakers and uh, Keith's best friend, so he was the best man at our wedding. He works in, like, sound engineering. Yeah. That's probably wrong. Sorry if I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, But he organised for speakers and stuff, so. And it was a nice day, so everyone was able to be outside and then four or two of us were in. Can I ask is, like, what is a funeral like? What is that? Like, do you, do you, do you want to have people, like, is it comforting, is it not yeah. comforting? Like, yeah, it was yeah. the most horrific experience for you. of my life. Um, if you can, sorry, like, Stuart was asked, like, not Stuart was asked, we found out on the Friday at three o'clock that there was, so Stuart, we didn't know whether he'd COVID, we didn't know what was wrong and, because it was the height of COVID, he went into hospital on the Tuesday and I wasn't allowed to see him on the Wednesday. The Thursday, he was in isolation. He was on 100% oxygen and nobody was going into the room to him. So I was at home thinking he could be dead in the hospital room and no one will know because they're not going into him because he had respiratory, he had lung failure. Um, so I was up the walls about that. But we finally got in on the Friday and they said to us on the Friday, this is it. Like, and I was like, we need to get him home. I need to bring him home to care for him. He didn't want to die in hospital. They were like, he's on 100% oxygen. He's going to need. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This 24-hour dialysis, there was lots of different complications. Anyway... Stuart's only two things that he was upset about dying because he had accepted so much. Of it. He was a very accepting person, but it was Louise is going to be left on her own. This always kills me. I know. Okay. <laughs> that I'd be left on my own. And um, that there wouldn't be a celebration of his life. And it's the funniest thing because he was such a... Like he was, he was just he was the most unique person in the sense that like he did like he had friends but he wasn't social and he wasn't like he'd be kind of delighted to walk around the pavilions on his own and like we were such a connection force but it was the fact that he wasn't going to get to have a party and I was like no I promise you we'll have a party but that was the struggle for me that when he passed away it was horrible like I came he came home to the house and his family was there. Audrey arrived on the Monday, um, but I was alone. I was alone the whole time. You know, the way during funerals, there'd be way, like, and of course, I, I actually always remember my brother being like, Stuart died on the Sunday night at quarter past eight, and on the Monday I was organising the funeral, and they said to me, like, I said, he just wants to be cremated, he just wants, and I was like, hell-bent on everything that he wanted was being done. My brother was like, what the fuck? Friday, why are they making you wait till Friday? And I was like, I've asked Friday I need that time to accept that this has happened and I needed people to be able to feel comfortable to come to my house because everybody was terrified terrified of COVID um but people that made and other people might judge me for saying this but for me the people that said there's a one of my friends is no longer with us Colm most beautiful person Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock he knocked on my door and was like I don't care about COVID you matter and there are certain people that did that. And there are other people that stayed away. And I don't forgive the people that stayed away. Because my whole point and the whole thing was, you can do birthdays, weddings, you can do everything twice. You can go, oh, look, we'll put it off for a week or two. You can't put a funeral off. Mm. You can't be there for the wife. You can't be there for the family. You can't be there to celebrate Stuart. So there were special people and his friend Kierno and his friend Ado. Oh, those lads, those lads never left my side. They were phenomenal. And I can never thank them enough. And Ada's wife, Laura, and Audrey, and Alice. My mum, amazing woman. But every night at like nine o'clock, everybody went home, really. And it was me and my mum in the house. And I used to put, he loved the soft lights, so I'd put the soft lights on. And I'd leave, he, he actually made a playlist the morning that he died um, of all our songs because he always spoke to me through music and uh, I'd oh this is really hard I don't know why um, he 
Sounds amazing. <laughs> he was just so special. But every night before, I, like, I'd go down, I'd sit in the sitting room because that's where I had him. That was his favourite place in our house because it looked out onto this big green. And it's gorgeous. Oh my God, she's just seen me. It's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> he was gorgeous. A So he was in a, like he said to me, do you want to play Wednesday? And I was like, I don't want you in your Wednesday. Because every Friday he'd buy himself this new tracksuit every week. And new runners. He'd fucking, hundreds of runners. Um, and they were all pristine. But he'd gold suede superstar runners. And everybody that came in, because I was like, no, he has to be seen. They'd come in and be like, his shoes. And I'd be like, I know. <laughs> it was like a purple Adidas tracksuit. But it was him. He was unique. He was special. He, he just, he was, he was his own man. And I always say that. But um, I'd go down into the sitting room and I'd put on the playlist and I'd sit with them. And it was just like when we first started going out with each other. We used to, um, he used to always introduce me to music. But I'd just sit in the sitting room with them and listen to a couple of songs. And then we'd put the whole house into like a nice soft light and, and we'd go to bed. But the music would play through the night. And I'll always remember, I moved from that house since. But my neighbour, Paul, he got Stuart's uniqueness and how everything had to be slightly quirky and different. And he came over to me and he said, I'm going to do this pagan ritual. And he was like, I'm going to put pitchforks into the ground and we're going to light them on fire the night before Stuart's funeral. And he was like... It's, it's we're setting his soul free. And I'll always remember standing and in Stuart's office and seeing Paul come across and them. And it's all those little things that people done because they made that week manageable. They made me able to cope with it. Because when I tell you, when I came in, like I also had to stand outside Glasnev and crematorium. And they said to me, oh, you've too many people, you need to turn two away. And I was like, I've counted my ten, I have my ten. No, no, because you've two people inside, you can't have the full ten, you can only have eight. So his two nephews stepped aside. That's cruel. Like, we were all around each other anyway, so that should never have happened. It's things like that, like, those two children, like, they they were only babies, they don't understand. Like, they were, that was their uncle. And... That's horrible that they had to experience that. And I just say on top of that, I, myself and some of the family and close friends stayed behind in Louise's house that morning because we weren't allowed to go to the funeral, so we watched it online. And I've never, ex- I've been to many funerals, and I suppose this was probably the first one I'd seen online. Um, but what struck me the hardest out of the whole thing was seeing Louise sitting on her own. She was sitting in a pew on her own and then over there somebody was sitting on their own and then somebody else was sitting and nobody was allowed to sit beside each other. And I'm like, they've all came into this church together hugging. They're clearly, why can they not at least, her mom wasn't allowed to sit beside her and hold her hand. She had and to that's do what you need. And I was like, how is, like, I... I could never get over how they would make them do that. And so cruel. How strong. Like, you got up. We were all in tatters at home in the house watching it. But, like, it it was just... And I've been to a few COVID funerals as well. But, like, that was just outrageous. To not even let her mum sit beside her and hold her hand. She had to sit on her Shame own. Shame on them. Shame on them is right. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I watched it online too. Yeah. And it was 
you just wanted to get okay. into that screen yeah. and put your <laughs> arms around you and give you a hug. And even when you gave the eulogy, like it should have been full. Everybody should have been there to listen yeah. to how great Stuart was. Yeah. But yet you just looked so isolated yeah. and on your own. And it's, I mean, it, it, it's, it's yeah. the worst feeling I can only imagine. If I'm honest, do you know, it's the one thing I'll never accept. So I have accepted that at 37 years of age, I, w- I lost my my husband. Um, I will accept that we did absolutely everything that we could for him to survive. And I don't have any questions about, like, there's no part of me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. My journey with Stuart is exactly how it was supposed to be. There's nothing that was to be any different. And I truly believe that everything that's happened in my life has taught me to be who I am today. And it's shaped me. And that's how I've come into contact with all these wonderful women and yourself even having us here somebody is going to listen to this and their life will then they'll come to the group and something will happen and it'll all transform but the one thing I won't accept and I accept so much like I accept it you're not going to have babies you're not going to have I remember somebody saying to me I was having my own surgery and Stuart came in to visit me and he was on the oxygen and the man said to me oh so has he had his lung transplant and I said no no of course I would he was having he was going to be the bionic man he said, well, you know, he'll only get five years. This is what he said. And I remember sitting there going, what? He's got to look like what? And I always thought in my mind, we'll have till our 60s. But like, you know, mm. but from that moment, I put a timer on it. And I was like, I'm going to be widowed by the time I'm 40. But I was 37. But I accepted everything. I would say, OK, fine. OK, I come to terms with it. And I, I think, but the COVID funeral, I cannot accept. Mm. I cannot accept. Um, that's the isolation, the coldness. I can never do it again. I don't feel he got the, the send-off that he deserved. I don't feel his life was celebrated. And there's, a, like, there's, like it's it's so hard. And, like, I don't want... And, like, I'm, and I understand that there was people very close to Stuart that were terrified of COVID. Terrified. Terrified. But they were never going to get to say goodbye to him again. This was the only time, and I made my house safe. And when I say safe, I had the hand sanitizers, masks at the doors, gloves. I had. I was like trying to make sure everybody could be as comfortable as they could be. But you were only going to get to say goodbye to him once. Yeah. But you know, it's funny, um, yeah. Louise, when you say that. So, where I'm from, I'm from the country, so I'm not up from here. And I was telling the girls, I'll tell you kind of a funny story in relation to funerals, but. To this day, and like that, there's one person I will never forgive them. And I was friends with her in school. So her, we're from at home, and where mom and dad are buried is 20 minutes away. And mom had the biggest funeral in the town because she worked in a shop. She worked in a restaurant. She was well known. Everyone knew dad. And we were in the funeral home at 5 o'clock. And we didn't get to the church until half 10 that night. So that, would, like, that was an extra big country mm. funeral, but it was kind of... Um, wouldn't be abnormal but because everybody knew her and one of I won't call her a friend because I don't talk to her anymore because of this she was in the church and another girl had said to me after that she was basically bitching and moaning why aren't we in the church why aren't we there so my mom who died suddenly was being grieved 20 minutes down the road so sorry it was an inconvenience because we were late for her and she's actually related to us as well. So needless to say, I'm not friends with her. So my point is, there's people in life, and even through the group, and I'm sure the girls know it here, there's people who are 
inverted commas, friends. There's people who let you down. There's people who I would consider my best friends that have let me down over the years. Um, and Do you know you, what I have to say? As you go along, the people, and a friend said to me recently, you, you chopped the, the wood away from the trees and the good wood grows and these four girls are the good wood. Mm. And I was saying mm. to Sharon and the girls during the week that you kind of learn, when, when death knocks on your door, you learn who your friends are. Mm. And it's a big eye-opening lesson that there's people you keep... I heard saying the other day, there's friends for a reason, friends for a season, and friends for life. Mm. And grief definitely teaches you that. Yeah. I will say, and I, I have said this before, that um, I am the person that got caught up in her career. My career was everything. It was everything I needed it to be. Um, didn't particularly want kids. Uh, ended up having kids. Don't even like ended up having kids. But <laughs> had the kids because my friend lost her daughter, and I thought, Jesus Christ, I don't want that to be me. You know, when I need to kind of, but like stuff caught up in a career, caught up in a career, and I didn't go to my friend's mother's funeral because I was in the UK at a meeting that I couldn't get out of. And I set set across here with you, and I said, you know, I fucked up, fucked up. Should have been there for you. Wasn't there for you. But you know also I would say to you is you could go to a funeral and you could have a full church mm. but the hardest part is when everybody's life goes back to it's normality mm. and you're sitting there in your grief and it's the friends that are called when it's quiet mm. around you. They're the friends. So if you didn't make the funeral, fine. Mm. Own it and then be there for afterwards. Because mm. I think it's the people that come to you afterwards are the ones that really are mm. your true yeah. friends because in a church you're you're just shaking hands. It's yeah. faces. You don't even know who people are yeah. half the time. Do you know what the months? It's kind of like obviously the the months are the. And this is the thing that really pisses me off to this day with certain people. And I was even listening to a podcast with um, Kathy and a lovely man from Limerick today, Thomas, and he said it as well. It was like. People are there in the church and after and this and that. And, oh, I'll call and we'll do this. One of my mum's best friends. Oh, I'll call. It's fucking 20 years ago. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm waiting by the phone. Yeah. Like, and I see her in town. Hello, how are you? We'll go for tea. I will, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm sorry. But like, but as well, because it's 20 years or three years or how many Isn't years. Bad. Like, I think after the year mark, you're supposed to be over that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A but I will hold my hand up. Before Keith died, I think I I would have been the worst person to be around if someone died. I was that person. I, was so bad. I did not know yeah. what to do. I would be panicking and I would have probably been the one to cross the road or just say, hey, and that meant, because I just genuinely did not know what to do. And I didn't want to upset them more. And I just didn't have experience with it. Yeah. So I didn't know. And I would have thought, oh, Jesus, that's a year. That's grand now. Fine, yeah. And I actually had to bring it up in my counselling because it was coming up to Keith's year, year's anniversary. And yeah. I was like, like, what, like, it was like a switch was going to go off. And I was like, I want to miss him. I, I want to feel the grief as well. Like, not as intensely, but I want to miss him because that keeps me connected Which to him. And I was grief. terrified that when the year came that was going to go and what was yeah. going to happen after the year when she was like, what? Like, she was so confused. The other, the other thing is the shoulder. So people, like you say, the, the experience. So it's like people say to you, for years, people say to my dad, how are you? 
and the shoulder. It's the head like tilt, yeah. And I, oh, I said, yeah. my friends did this to me one day, and I was like, "What's wrong with your neck?" <laughs> and she said, "Why?" And I was like, well, "Why are you talking to me like this? Like you're twitching? How like, are you? How are you?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, my mom died, but there's nothing wrong with your neck that you yeah. don't have to give me the." Oh, are you okay? Mm. You've had sympathy some weird comments, haven't you? I've had some clips. Oh, there was so I went into the bank to close the bank account, and he goes, "And did you just have kids?" And I said, "No, no." And he, that's so nice yeah at least you can move on. I was like yeah and then of course <laughs> see I can I can fly as I don't do it anymore which is it's great it's a lovely thing about grief you change as a person it's like you 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 get rid of some stuff that you use but like I'd have it like a and I was like is it something is it something and I remember my friend I was like okay let's go let's go get out of the bank get out of the bank because I was like that shaky but it is always the follow-up question yeah. like yeah oh you're widowed and did you have kids and I'm like no mm. What does that do in your head? What? Yeah, what does that do? It's okay now. It's okay that he died because I didn't have kids yeah. or... But it's not okay. Like... It's so funny. Right now, like... I love that I've changed in three and a half... I only said this to you today. I was like, I love how much I've changed in three and a half years and how much better I am mm-hmm. in the sense that I can't believe everything that I've achieved in the three and a half years because... And we all need to pat ourselves on the back, girls, because mm. we have. But... It's the fact that I used to be really, like, if someone said something, I'd carry that in me and me, and I'd be like, I can't believe that they said that to me. And now I'm just like, eh, okay, yeah. cool. And but doesn't, 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 yeah. Grief is a wonderful, like, not wonderful thing, Jules, that's the wrong thing to say, but <laughs> it's how you grow as a person and accept yourself. If you yeah. allow it, though, they're back to your yeah. question Sorry, the choice. about the choice. Yeah. Mm. Every we do is a choice in life no matter if it's dealing with grief or but you know some things you might not choose to do but ultimately you know with grief you're choosing to get up out of the bed every day you're choosing to be a good person you're choosing to be a positive person you know positive and acceptance and all these things they're all choices you know and people say all the time oh well it's all right for you because you're you know you're the strong one in the family and you're like no i'm not the strong one in the family do you hate that like you don't see me lying awake you know my son goes on a night out i'm like can't sleep until he's in you know if it gets past four o'clock i'm texting him he's 25 i'm like can't keep doing this for the rest of my life but i probably will do you know that kind of way and it's like I still go through all that stuff. I still carry anxiety, but I choose to get up and not let it define who I am because otherwise, why did they die? If you're going to yeah. let it yeah. ruin your life, their life was kind of a waste, yeah. regardless of whether they died from sickness yeah. or yeah. suicide or whatever. It's wasting what life you have left. And I'm not going to live that for somebody else the way somebody else wants me to because I could die tomorrow and that's one huge thing that we all have that we all know we could all actually die tomorrow that's not a you know problem that for me you know people die so often that I'm like I could die tomorrow Mm. who knows I'm going to sage my house when you leave (laughs) (laughs) I I carry some in my handbag just in case (laughs) I'd be like I used to, I no, no joke, I used to slag people and they'd be talking and I'd go, touch your mouth. Don't do that to me, don't do that to me. But like, you have to laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah dark sense of humour. have a dark sense of humour. If I thought about everything, I'd be a mess. Or do you know you, you get, get the, oh, you're, you're so strong, how did you do it? 
in our case, it was like, well, it was like role reversal of, I wanted to mind my dad. Obviously, we didn't get to it, ma'am. Um, but you do it. And, like, dad found it really hard after ma'am passed away. And then, like that, he kind of made a new life eventually, just kind of bit by bit. Orla helped him along so, so much because dad was a man married with three kids. Then suddenly, being myself and my brother were away, he was a widower raising a teenage daughter. And that was a whole... Um, experience that he had to to grapple with um, but you were saying there about the, the illness and you just kind of do it and it's role reversal and you do what you do for your, your your people and like with death comes funny stories and I remember when we were in um, Milford when dad was dying and you'd be saying like our funeral is kind of funny or they kind of weird or what but Dad literally had said to to me one day to write down the whole thing of the funeral, and I wrote it down because I was so delirious. I basically wrote it down on the back of an envelope, and I had everything written down. And then I lost it. I lost the piece of paper, and I then I was like, sure, I can't go back to him after you telling me mm-hmm. the priest and the this and the that. So at the time, my sister came home from Abu Dhabi, and then he went through the whole thing with her again. And then it was only there recently I told her that I was like, actually, I wrote that down, but I, I lost it. So it's kind of the funny things in, in grief that um, it's like the dark sense of humor. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like you kind of make the most of, make the most of life. That's but the thing, yeah. And the thing yeah. with the friends is like, the friends are the people or the people who are going to call. You just get rid of them from your life because like, do you know. Mm-hmm. You guys, these are the positive out of death. It's kind of, yeah. life shows you like, I, I, I'd be, I, will be my mum's age in 10 years' time when she died. I could be dead tomorrow. That's why I love travelling. Fiona, I know you love yeah. travelling. My brother isn't so mad into travelling. He's like, what are you going to the airport for? Again, myself and my sister love travelling. Life is short. You could be dead yeah. tonight. Grab tonight. every opportunity. Yeah. 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 Can I ask you, just the three of you, um, Sharon, just as well, uh, Louise, just about the sickness. Yeah. Mm. Is that a grief journey in itself? Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I think it is. Because... Where you don't have questions, I do. Pull that into you a little bit, Sean. Sorry. Well, I suppose for me, where you don't have questions, I do. And could I got the kidney cancer? <sighs> do you ever hear that saying, it's the best cancer you can get? Well, that's mm. what she was told. That's what a few people had said it to me. And they took out the cans, they took out the kidney, and the, it was a 15. And I, see, I always remember when I recognised she was sick, we had gone away for my 50th birthday. And after spending a week with her, I realised that she really was unwell. Um, and I suppose you know the way I would be I would always ask the questions and I wasn't with her when she went into the doctor and I would always ask the question should she have had follow up treatment and she didn't and then four months later it had transferred to her foot I forget your question now is it a grief journey? it is because I went right into Google and I was trying to be subtle when I was asking her, like, what's he saying now? What's he saying now? A couple of times I was there for the phone calls and I knew when it metastasized that she in, she would be dead within five years because the survival rate was something like 1% or 2%. But no one else seemed to... She was very selective in telling my sisters and my two brothers how bad it was and was very selective in let who she let into the house. I don't know whether her husband recognised all of it. So for me, I was on countdown. Absolutely, I knew we were. 
and I was trying to push her into going for alternative treatment. And for someone that I would have thought would have been very proactive, I don't know whether it was the medication she was on, but I was reading about all these other alternative treatments and all that. I was trying to push her into that. Not push her, push her, but in a nice way, say to her, can we look at this, can we do that? And she didn't want to do anything like that. So it is grief starts then because I kind of became her carer then. Like we stopped going out um we got we built something out our garden so she'd socialise during COVID like we could have some people like her sister or maybe the rest of my family up. But your grief starts then because the person the clip was died kind of really the day that not the day she got the kidney cancer because that was very quick when she got the treatment done she was fine for four months but when the pain started in the foot it never let up to the day she died she was in pain so yeah I would think when it's terminal it's that's a great start so Stuart's was never terminal so if you can understand that there was Mm -hmm. always an element of hope because Stuart had gotten sick, he had... Is that worse? So it's very hard, um, it's hard to balance a lot of different personalities in those situations. So Stuart got sick in, we got married in 2014. And when we got married, we went on honeymoon and he was, I knew by him, I was like, we went, we were walking to Malta and, you know, Malta's quite hilly. He wasn't breathing great. And, we, and when I look back, I'm like, how did you not see it? Like, you were Stephen Wonder walking around, like, we said, how did you not cop it? But I didn't. You're oblivious. It happened so slowly. Anyway, he got a tattoo on his leg. And from that tattoo, he got sepsis. And we had been on our Christmas party night out. And I got a phone call to say, Stuart's really not great, Louise. You need to get home. So I got home, got him to the hospital. Anyway, that's the marker that starts it. And that was December 2015. Um, and Stuart then spent a full year very sick. Now, the amount of times that I got called into that hospital and told, this is it, Stuart's not great. He was in, he was in ICU probably seven or eight times um, in St. Vincent's Hospital, 24-hour dialysis. All of these things were ongoing. But the 7th of October 2016, we got the phone call to say he was having his liver transplant. And I honestly know one what it is to witness a miracle because I have never seen somebody so sick and I mean he he was so he hadn't walked for four months all of these he was so sick and he had that liver transplant and I'll never forget the Saturday mornings we had it on the Friday Friday night I was allowed into him for 10 minutes he was in ICU I intubated the whole lot the best part for me was that uh, the best part about me dad's transplant but my dad's ashes, some of them are in Lansdowne Road and the ICU room he was in, it looked out onto it and I felt my dad had him. They never met each other, but I felt my dad had him. So I was, you know, so the next morning I rang the hospital because he's ICU, you're not allowed in. And I was very conscious of this has to be, he has to be minded and this is our lotto ticket. And I rang and I said, I'm just checking to see how he is. And she said, all right, let me hang, hang on a second, hang on a second. And I'll never, ever forget this moment. He came on the phone and he said, hey, kiddo, I feel amazing. And I was like, you fucking what? I was like, because I was like, what? I've just left you, you were ventilated. And he was like, no, I feel amazing. He went from being luminous yellow to looking radiant. Like he, he looked phenomenal and he, he was going to make this work. This was his lifeline. And that was it. He was gung ho. 
until the February when he went into acute respiratory failure and he could never get off the oxygen. So there was always this, what are we going to do with the oxygen? Let's just make it work, right? We're going to get camper vans. That's how we go on holidays. Okay, so we don't get to travel anymore. We'll just we make everything work. But there was always the hope that he would have the double lung transplant and it was a fight. And then 2019, and this is, the only reason I want to say this is as a person who was caring for somebody for so long, I call it a nervous breakdown. But my back, when I say one morning, I couldn't walk and I didn't walk for three months. I lay on my sitting room floor in chronic pain. I couldn't, or she would, you come over to the hospital, collect me one day, she cut my toenails, God bless her. It's just so important, and I remember people used to say to me, you have to look after yourself, and I'd be like, look after myself, like this man is on 100% oxygen, he's, he's, all of these things wrong with him. But 2019 was an absolutely horrendous year, uh, I was in chronic pain, Stuart's kidneys failed. And it was in that year, it was, like, it was like I was not accepting what was happening. And it was like the universe, whatever you want to call it, was like, listen, you have to lie there and you have to accept what's happening. And I get it now. Because if I didn't have that, where I literally lay, I'll never forget it, there was this light shade in my sitting room. I used to send photographs to people being like, if I have to and look at this one more day. Because I was going insane, but I accept it. And I, it's, like, it's like I realised... You're not getting out of this. Is you're not getting out of this being naive and just pretending that everything's okay. So face it. And I became stronger. And I had my back surgery. Uh, my my I had to have spinal surgery in the November. And it's a short amount of time between then and April when Stuart passed away. But I had my spinal surgery and bounced back. Um, still working the whole time as well. Trooper, I tell you, we'll do it now. Don't tell them that. <laughs> but. I accepted it and that made me stronger because it's such a short amount of time but between the January and the April we started talking more we'd never talked about you not being here me not like anything like that but he got a he asked me to get him or his mom got him a book a journal and he had said that he wanted to do this so he was like I'm just going to start writing my thoughts down just in case in case I go to hospital for a long amount of time for this lung transplant and it wasn't it at all. The book, and I never looked at it. And he said to me, don't look at it until, like, until I go into hospital or anything like that. So it was his private book. Um, and then our anniversary is the 28th of February. And we, said, we actually celebrate the 28th of every month. We were weirdos. We, no. we just loved it. Like, that was it. Like, it was, we only had each other. Um, and we sat and we watched Steel Magnolias. Mm. And he'd never seen it before. And I was like, I should stick this on. He was great for watching El Chick Flick. But I totally forgot that that girl dies... Kidney failure in the film, and I'm sitting there. <laughs> oh, turn, turn it off, turn off. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, and I did, but I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh God, yeah, she's diabetes, yeah, yeah. And then I'm like, and you know, when you start to panic, you're like, how am I going to get him to switch this off? How am I going to get him to? Because I knew what was coming, but yeah. it was the best thing that ever happened. I, because we watched the film, and at the end of it, he looked at me and he just said, "I'm not getting out of this alive, Louise." And I said, "No, I know." I said, but it's okay. And he was like, I don't know what's going to happen. And we had this conversation. And as I said to him, but look at my dad. I went for breakfast. And I said to him, I'll see you in 20 minutes. I came back and he was gone. And I said, so you, we're all looking at you because you're visibly on oxygen. You're visibly sick and you're weak. 
I could be gone before you. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely. let's just mm. sit and enjoy the movie. Let's mm. just sit and enjoy what we have and start to actually enjoy it and really just be like, we're in the moment. And that's the part of COVID that was special for us because mm. I got six weeks of being at home and he used to come in on his row later at five o'clock and be like, is it gin o'clock? <laughs> he couldn't drink, but he loved making me a drink, a drink and we'd cook and we like I'd cook and we'd sit together but in those weeks we grieved together and there was some nights we'd be sitting and be having the laugh and we'd be talking but we we got to slowly kind of sort of face it now his family never faced it um they didn't and I don't blame them at all Stuart's brother passed nine months before he passed away so that's two massive losses in one family so when it got closer to Stuart passing away there was always the fight. That, that fight had to be there. But I was like, for me, I was the one that was there to accept and to be like, it's okay. I don't, I wanted sure to, if you can understand, I kind of felt there was so much fight in the five years. I wanted him to just, how is he not wrecked? How yeah. is he not exhausted yeah. from that fight? And I realised then that the year that I had to lie on my back and accept it was then I became strong strong person I don't mean he was always just so strong but when they told us on the Friday that this is it very limited time we don't know when it's going to be it could be anything like it's it's the lungs are just slowly failing there's no transplant but then the doctor he was a gorgeous man said to him look Stuart we know you're a a miracle like you shouldn't be here really but as in because he bounced back so many times they were like not to say that this time next week you won't be like bouncing back again but I started planning and I said to Stuart look we're going to be okay and the nurse said to me why don't you go out and ring your mum and tell her you're going to be staying here that you're not allowed to leave because you're going to be with them but she cornered me outside and said to me do you understand what's happening here and I was like no no I fully understand and she was like do you understand that the doctor has just told you that Stuart is this is it like and I said no I said I fully understand that my job now is to make sure that he's okay because that's all that matters he has to be okay. I don't matter. I will. There'll be people after this that pick me up. But my job is to make sure that he is okay. And I'll always remember Sally. She put her arms around me and she said, I'm going to make sure you get to do that job. And that was that. We put our, it was like we put our heads down. It was like, it was how comfortable could we make them? They brought us in a romantic dinner. They propped us <laughs> up. Like they made us this romantic dinner and we got to sit there and have it. Um, the Saturday he was quite sick and they arranged that people could, like his family, his closest family members could come in and see him. But it was like, the knowing for me that he was going to pass helped me be strong and in his dying moments to hold his hand and tell him that I absolutely loved and adored him, that everything was going to be all right and that he didn't have to fight anymore. And to me, that is the greatest honour that I will ever have in my life. And I won't get to have babies and I won't get to do these things. But really, I think I made a deal with God coming into this world that I'd get to have somebody, a specialist, Stuart, come into my life. And I made the deal with God that I was going to be able to take all of the challenges. But it was because I was going to have that honour of holding his hand and telling him he was going to be all right. And that's honestly... I, I don't think I'll ever do anything as great in my life again. As... To, like, to be there with somebody and to just tell him that he was loved and to make sure that he was okay and celebrate him 
celebrate yeah. when you celebrate Edom. You did. You're still celebrating. You still oh, celebrating. Yeah, I like I truly like and it's he's my best friend and mm. like I know people kind of will probably go, How can you be talking about him like that? But like I I know I'm anyone that's seen them together would under like do you know the way sometimes yeah, like everyone's was my husband's my best friend. Um and you know, we're totally opposite but we're best friends. But yeah. the two years were just there was just even when he was so 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 sick and he'd be trying to get out of the bed and yeah the, I, I used to stay over um in the house after work the odd time and he'd be trying to get the oxygen test and he'd still be taking the piss out yeah you and yeah you know he just yeah. and yeah. we give out going oh how are we going to get up because we're grieving and this man like i've always said this to you about being in awe yeah. with with george like he's phenomenal I mean, I just... And don't. isn't it so important with the group that you feel that way, like, you feel that way, yeah. but you remember, like, there's, yeah. there's another girl, 27-year-old, tw- I, I know that there's a 20-odd-year-old, I think she could be probably 30, out there, massively struggling from the loss of her whole yeah, partner. yourself to the group. Yeah. <laughs> or DM who, us on Instagram, yeah, who, even yeah. directly, or... Is in the exact same, who's, like, my... And I won't say his name because it was mm. like phenomenal. He yeah, was yeah. my best. So it's, and like as well, like sister gr- grief and like sibling grief and parent grief. And I don't think like grief is grief, but it it, it can be a little bit polarized as well. It's so unique, but yeah. it's so similar yeah. as well. And this is why I think like I had a girl on um, and her sister um, died by suicide. And a year later, she went looking for help and she went to Peter House and she asked for help and they said, no, your sister died a year ago. It's too long. We don't accept you now. And isn't it gas? Because when I went looking just after mm. Keith died, I was told it was too soon. Yeah. Uh, not by Peter House now. By, I can't remember who it was, but I was told, no, 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 you're not, you're within the first six months, so you can't, no, we wouldn't recommend it. I'm not looking for social media, I'm just looking I don't, for yeah, I don't know what yeah. that was about, but yeah. then I, was, then I rang Pieta House and they did give me a session, but I don't think they were ready for me. And the thing uh, with like, grief is, like, grief is love and nowhere to go, and we've all experienced different, like, partner and parents mm. and sisters and mums and, you know, we're all in different boats, but we're all in a similar boat. But that's why that. the group works so yeah, well yeah. Yeah. in the support group because we have so many different Dynamic losses. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we're all dealing with things different. Like Audrey won't go to counselling. Sharon did, or yeah, Sharon did go. I didn't. Oh, did you not? I did. I was. You went. Yeah. Marie went. Yeah. I went. Sorry, they were don't... trying to get me to go to counselling. Yeah. I was like, Audrey, it's not for me, and I think yeah. that's what I like mm. about. But we group. all have different ways, mm. so it's. It's good for the support So tell group. me where it is. And so if I have to say to somebody tomorrow, like, but do you know what as well? Like, and this is one thing that I, I, I said, and like, I promised, I said I was going to stop talking about it. But like when Robbie died, so a friend of ours in travel, did you know? I met him at the awards and yeah. stuff. I wouldn't have been friendly. friendly. But I felt that I had no right to grieve him because he oh. had a wife and two kids. But, as well as that then I so him and I were friends for many years and then we hadn't he, he went out traveling COVID and then came back and uh, so I was in, but then him and Paul were really good friends and golfing and all that and Paul rang me 
and was telling me, he told me, like, Robbie's dead. Like, well, he's, he's at the bees in Centre Park. He's having a massive heart attack. He's dead. And I was like, what, what, what? And I went into my grief. But then as soon as I saw Paul, I had to, we went to an award ceremony that night. Like, it was absolutely fucking horrific. We had to go to an award ceremony, a travel awards. He yeah. was leaving Centre Parks to come to the travel awards. That he would have been the life and soul, soul of. of the party. And so we had to go ahead with those awards. But then when I seen Paul, I had to put my grief on hold and deal with Paul and like Paul in the funeral home so I couldn't cry in the funeral home because Paul was crying and I had to be there for Paul and I said to my friend like Ita she's fab uh, Ita Hendrick I said to Ita like is my friend forced like, and she was like get fucking over it <laughs> she was but like, I knew him first yeah she, she was like you have to get over it she was like Paul is feeling it I'm very like you put it in a box there it's gonna stay there she was like you need to now just be there for Paul and then we went out for dinner and Paul didn't come and all of our, 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 like the original friends like the original the original friends the like yeah the OGs like, yeah, like, you know, like we went for dinner and she was like now you can cry she was like now you can cry no, but then true. yeah and like I came home last night like I've been travelling so much at work and I came home last night and Paul says you know I'm, I'm away and I'm going to go away into 24th and I was like well you can't that's travel awards that's his that's like the travel awards is that night and he was like, yeah, but it's his anniversary and me and the lads want to go away. And I was like, yeah, but we can't because like, we have a babysitter like, and that night is going to be like a mad night, but you're not coming that night because then we'll all sell, sell. And he was like, no. And I was like, like see, I can't fucking, I can't, I can't grieve him then because he's going to be grieving <laughs> And like, I think this is where like... I'll babysit Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, so Auntie Fiona's going to come. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and mind you. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Um, but like, it's, it's weird because people can't express their grief or they feel like you have to do it really quickly or you can't do it long. So this is what this group is about. 100%. So There's no time frame on, on grief. That, no. like we're all at different stages. There's people in the group that are short, long, weeks, months, years. And there there is no time frame. There's this thing of the five stages. Yeah. It, it's relevant to some parts, but like someone said to me a few months after mom died, oh, you'll get over it. And I said to them, you never get over it. You learn to live with it. Yeah. And like that, but head tilt and the oh it's a year oh she must be over it and you flick a switch and I personally never got over it you asked me earlier on about acceptance um maybe now I've accepted ma'am has has gone but the thing for me that helped I knew I believe in God and that and I knew dad was going to ma'am and he knew that as well and um it's it's weird when dad passed away the smile on his face hold that into you a little bit when dad passed away the smile on his face he literally looked like he did 40 years ago. He was a clear footballer and we're looking back in pictures and he he just looked so happy and it was the acceptance that for him and the relief that the pain was over, he was going to ma'am, I've no doubt about that. And we got signs, like at dad's funeral, you're asking about funerals. We were in the hallway and long story short, we could, out of nowhere, we could smell ma'am's perfume. She used to wear eternity oh. perfume, Calvin Klein. And we literally were like, what the fuck is that? And the three of us, myself, my sister, my cousin, were like, where did that come from? And we're like, it's a sign. Yeah. So it's like, that was um, 15 and a half years from when mum and dad died. And it's, it's, it's just, you never really, get over it. You, you just learn to, even you know, different thing, things and signs just kind of. The 20 years, Margaret's nearly 20 years. Same year, I think, as your mum, wasn't it? My it, sister and your mum. Yeah. yeah. And like now, even though I accepted a long time ago that Margaret had gone and, you know, I, I don't really do the looking at photographs thing either. I'm really bad, actually. But um, 
for me now it's the it's the happy things that you make like that's what I probably I'm not a crier but I'll cry over happier things than it like the happy part of the movie rather than the sad part of the movie it's nearly like my brain is going you can't do the sad thing but you can cry at the happy thing but I kind of go now oh my god Margaret's dead 20 years like the mobile phones back then like you could barely text on them you hadn't got wi-fi you hadn't got you know and i'm like oh my god she's nearly yeah she's nearly dead as long as she was alive and that is mind-blowing to me because you still feel them like i still feel like rain my nephew he visits me and my sleep all the time i wake up with him calling me he was like literally calling me he likes to play hide and go seek but there's times where I get my sister's perfume. We could be walking down the road, and I'd go, "Someone's wearing Margaret's perfume." Mm-hmm. But it's I think it's just signs from them. Whatever you believe, do you know nice. that? And it is nice. It is nice mm. to think that they're the there. The thing about yeah. it is, like some people are like, "I oh, don't believe in science. I don't believe in science." I do personally, but whether it's real or not, if it's who something cares? that makes you feel good, yeah, who, exactly. who, cares? who cares? Like, yeah. all right, we might be mental saying it, but. It makes me feel good, so, so I if want to go with it. you up, yeah. yeah. And as you say, the thing with the time, next year, Mam will be gone longer than when I had her. And yeah. to me, I'm like, but I'm still Mind only 41. And I'm like, but that, that trying to get my head around that. And mm. it was for my sister a few years ago, kind of the milestone. But then as you say, I'm still alive, you're still alive. And you have the choice. Yeah, it's hard. Some days are shit. Other days are easier. And some days you just don't want to get up out of bed, but... You and you carry don't. on your life. Thank God we have our health. But some days you don't. But you just mm. kind of say one step at a time. Literally one foot out of the bed. Then you wash your face. Yeah. And the time thing is a big thing. And yeah. that's where we're saying that you, everybody's welcome, Louise. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing about the group. Um, the the one the one of the things that I just wanted to say was, people think that you have to have had these like, like, traumatic, traumatic yeah. losses. Uh, there's we have. A lovely group of the, around 20 people that come to the group and it, the numbers change each week but there was I, I can't actually go into specifics of, of who the people are yeah. or anything like that but there was one instant where a person comes to group for one particular type of loss but within the few weeks of joining the group unfortunately they lost their little dog and Somebody else might think, oh, I'm not able to bring that loss to this grief group because there's somebody here with their husband or their mum or somebody really important. But everybody in that group was like, oh, my God, like and because it's a huge loss. So our point is that if you're experiencing grief or whether it's anticipatory, if it's you're caring for someone, if it's a parent with dementia, that's all grief. Mm. And Maybe it's, you're grieving the loss of her. Mm. Yeah, yeah that too. it doesn't have like, to be a death. It could mm. be grieving the loss of a relationship. But there's also yeah, yeah, but yeah. there's also the grief within the group. Like I've experienced the grief, the grief of I thought, oh, the one thing I was going to be was a mammy. The one thing yeah. I was going to be was a mammy, and that was it. And that was a huge loss, and it took me a long time to come to terms with. But that was a grief all of its own that I wasn't yeah. going to be a mammy. And now I'm like, no, I can, I, I've seen my way out of that. But all of those things are grief. And it's, it's not a counselling group. It is very much a bereavement peer group. Because that's something that we, we always, yeah. and even with this, like, you know, uh, the podcast, by the way, Audrey, you're coming back to me on your own. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to sort you out. <laughs> um, it's um, like, 
uh, people would come down. You have to be very clear about that because it's not you're not counselors. You're just oh, people who have yeah, gone yeah. through a horrific experience. And I said with the podcast, I get requests all the time and I'm sure Cathy does as well to say can I come and talk to you but I don't want to be here the podcast and I'm like oh no no I, I'm not here to you know probe into your life or I'm just asking you to tell your story if you want to tell your story because your story could help so many other people but I'm not a trained counsellor so I can't help you you know what I mean and it's like it, like I, I but I couldn't help people because even though, yeah, I have gone through grief, like, but not like you guys, do you know what I mean? You are there that you can really, really support people yeah. and be just a safe place for people. Well, we do make that clear. And we, there is actually a grief, uh, there is a counselling service within the base area that we do our groups and we do tell people that, you know, there is a group, uh, counselling service there. But the, one of the things we did find with the group was that um, not only are people dealing with grief, they're actually dealing with, you've got anyone that had suffered grief or bereavement during COVID, mm. there's all that added element into the isolation that you were explaining earlier on. So you've got grief and then you've got grief when you had the COVID situation going on. So uh, one of the things one of the women said, which was really lovely, that they really look forward to coming to the Wednesday night group, that that's their time to talk about their bereavement, to think of their loved one, to deal with their feelings I thought that was really nice to hear. Yeah, safely. In a a selfish way, I love the group because I now give my grief a focused one hour a week. And when I say like that, it's actually made the rest of my life better because I'm living the rest of my life and it's it's there. But I get to come into a room and be like, God, and like basically we have a rock, we have our little stone and we start the group and it's, it's, we started and we say like, how was your, like, how was your week? And it's like, we have like a number of different emotions on the page and we'll say like how, like if you were to look at that where would your emotions be this week and sometimes you can pick stuff off it and other times you can't but it's a conversation opener some people come to the group they never say a word and they are just as important as the person that comes and never shuts yeah. up that is because they are getting something out of it and i i truly believe that anybody that walks through the door, they may have only ever come to one meeting, but they're going to hear something in that meeting. And in 10 years time, they might be like, I remember I went to that grief support group and swords and every woman said that. And that only now I'm mind. starting to realize mm, that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's, but at the time when they said it, I didn't realize it. Like it's, we have people in the group that have 23 years of spousal loss and then me that's three and a half four like you know but everybody's at different stages but it's like we're all holding hands in a chain and we're just we're all getting each other through but it does it does put it in a compartment where it's like Mm. i get to give this energy my family are not worrying about me because i found that was like a hard thing as you start to transition out of every day oh like there there is that stage of grief in the early days where you're just traumatized and then you slowly slowly start to find your way and then when you're having lots of good days and okay days it's harder to go back to being the sad because you might only need the hour to be like i'm having a bad hour or five minutes but i just want to be grand then again like you don't want that where your family are like oh god are you going down that rabbit hole of feeling crap again and worrying about where you go to the group have your hour. Let it all out. Mm. Yeah. When, when you have, um, yeah. when you experience grief, and uh, we said it before, and someone said it, 
people they just get it in virtual yeah. comments yeah. like you just get it and it's like oh you don't have to explain why i'm sad or happy or down or whatever you just get it there's no explanation needed it's like an invisible kind of thread thing yeah. that people get the common thing but it's also about sitting in it sitting in it yourself and that's what this group will do if someone who is floating through it and is having like maybe manic episodes or happy or doesn't understand how i can go back after having a great night and the next morning wake up saying oh my god i was a life and soul party last night but actually hang on a second it make that hour will make people sit in their grief and maybe process it that bit better it also normalizes all the emotions like the guilt of like i I don't mind i'm very open about everything but like the the guilt that I would have in the sense of being like, I want to meet somebody, I want to share I my life with somebody. With that. And it th- but it's great to sit in a room and be like, I feel so guilty about that. But me being able to vocalise that might help somebody else who is struggling. Where me and you have had conversations yeah, like yeah. outside of the group. Yeah. And like I've been on dates, I've been seeing people and then I'll be real excited and I'm like, Oh my god, yeah, this is it. Oh my god, I'm so excited, blah blah and then I'll be like, Huh yeah. Is this okay? Am I okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. No, I'm allowed to do this. But just even expl- talking to Louise about yeah. that, and she gets it. Yeah, and the two of us. And it doesn't mean that I'm over Keith dying. Yeah. Yeah. But also, the, the group isn't just about like new relationships. I, I want to clarify. Like, no, that's be, outside the group. No, We've had those like, conversations. But it could be like clearing out a wardrobe of someone's clothes. Yeah. Some people, like, I was, I'm very practical, so I'm like, this has to happen, da, 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 da. and I had my approach to it, but somebody else could take years, but these are different topics of conversation that come up, and what's nice is, people go in and go, oh, couldn't have done that, oh, did, okay, right, oh, yeah, well, then you've made me kind of think, oh, maybe, am I ready, and you start to approach things at different, pa- it's just having that safe space to be like, is it okay to to do feel like this yeah because a place to go yeah because yeah, everybody does things at different times but there's also there are different things that have to happen in grief and also the reason i wanted to be able to ask questions about paperwork when i first lost mm. Stuart, it was like what do you do with the house the widow's pension that's another what you this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all. Like, but, but it's yeah. the having the group to be able like i'm after hitting this brick wall of this happened did anybody else experience that when they lost their spouse, their mother, or whatever. Like, uh, all of that's these the things. great thing about the group yeah. is that you've got so much support, yeah. so many mm. different stories, and mm. someone is going to really? connect with someone else. And yeah. do you know what the hardest part, Lily, is we have the room to the quarter past eight. It's not long enough. It's not long enough. We literally yeah, we say, I want to like this now. It's yeah. like two hours <laughs> later. Two hours, so, you know, because yeah. people stay behind and have a cup of tea, and you really feel terrible, guilty. Saying, you really have to go now, you know, because people just don't want to go. But that's also lovely. Yeah, it's lovely that there are people like, and sometimes we're like, we don't want to go, but as you say, time thing, so we might look into that down the road. But yeah, anybody is welcome. And like, so young people and people our age will find you on Instagram and social media. But where can you find it? Where is where is it? So it's base in Brackenstown. So there's a school, St Cronin's National School, and the Brackenstown Church are all in the same. Air, like it's I'm complex trying, complex well, the, the, air code is on it anyway, the air code is we can get all the details and we, we have our we have a sip so if you want to email us for information yes it's have a sip swords uh, at gmail.com we have our instagram page with which is a sip of support and then our instagram page is a sip of support as well um there are there are public pages but 
base in swords is a community hall and that's where it's on every wednesday except for next wednesday because it's uh midterm midterm um but we we we're there every wednesday at seven o'clock and it's it's a free community support group we do ask that if you're having a cup of coffee you throw the price of the cup of coffee in for the milk and for the room hire and things like that like that it's just but it's it's when like we're that's all it is. We 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 just want somewhere so that people have somewhere to go and sit down, have a cup of tea, and have Touch. a chat. And yeah. people it's from all areas as well. Like yeah. we have people mm. like we're in Meads. Mm. Um, we have people Trincilla. from Transilla, Trinney. Mm. We have, like it's not just no, that's just swords. Swords. Yeah. 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 swords. I just think it's insane that you're even paying for this space. I know. Mm. I know. But it's like, insane. And an insurance. And the insurance was the brick wall that I hit, and that's where Sharon was. Just I have to say, my company uh, sponsored it for the first yeah. year. Okay. So they did, yeah. Um, and my two kids gave me a fifty euro donation towards rent. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so they did. Just, yeah. you know. And do you do stuff like that? Like out, like right now, we, we can ask and say, like you know, if anyone is listening to it, so can they sponsor or anything? So like the, the goal or the dream for me um, is that within the group, we we benefited so much from going to the grief retreat mm-hmm. in Kathy's grief retreat. I would love so that we could support and cement the group together to have a one day retreat because as we said you have that one hour together Mm -hmm. and the aim is to try and get like a a Saturday or a Sunday in a local establishment that would be able to facilitate that we could meet for the morning and Mm -hmm. then you know we could all that we could have that space for the five hours that we could have it be somewhat of a retreat that it could be somewhat of a a space for everybody to well, really sit like we like a bonding a room yeah on yeah. wednesday like mm, at the minute yeah. we have at least 20 regular wednesday goers but like you know and we're I only what seven weeks in but i don't yeah. want people to be overwhelmed by hearing 20 people in a room and yeah. i have to walk in and i don't we've new people every week so it's not the same yeah people yeah. each week so and like that's the beautiful thing there's a new person every week coming yeah. in the door and it's if there's lovely. anybody out there that wants to support us locally yeah. financially yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you're very welcome we're not we're not out for profit yeah mm. local MPs are like, <laughs> yes. like you know I have to shout out to Duncan Smith and uh, Duncan Smith was fantastic he was he was actually fantastic to myself and Stuart he's a local uh, TD in Swords well, he, MP TD sorry. Oh, sorry so English I'm always sorry. Um, <laughs> but he was phenomenal he was phenomenal to myself and Stuart and he was phenomenal the minute I bumped into him in JC's oh my <laughs> god oh, you don't get a free one oh, yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. JC's free one you know yeah, yeah. Uh, it's done <laughs> now so, yeah, yeah. Um, but no um, I bumped into him and just said would you mind sharing and in fairness to him every week he's sharing posts and he's if there's something happening and we have to give Declan uh, a big shout out yeah. In base, yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, you, you have to. Can you not do like some char- some like charity stuff or events? Or yeah, get yeah. in, yeah, get in. I'm like, I'll throw me myself, me, me, myself to help you, but Paul Kelly would kill me if I say I'm going to help someone else do something. But yeah, no, I just, I wish is the best of luck. I really I'm do, so much. and I think that yeah. it, it's so important. Yeah, yeah, no, I will. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I'm very, I'm like, this. Like people say, like, I'm very like you, like, I, I will sage myself and I'll go out there and then I'll go to bed. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. sleep. Yeah. That's the difference. You don't, yeah, or, I don't sleep. Oh, right, okay. No. Yeah. But really it is to encourage anybody that, you know, come to the group. You mightn't feel that you can get anything from it or bring anything to it. But if you bring yourself, I think it'll... And bring I, someone with you. We have yeah. Yeah, someone that yeah. goes every week and, and brings a friend. Uh, 
you know, she's a supporter and then she yeah. always ends up yeah. talking and she's like, oh my God, I always come to support. But So like people can bring someone as support. Yeah, bring a friend. That doesn't necessarily mm. think they need to go there. But yeah. I guarantee when they get there, they realise, oh wait, hold on a minute, I might be getting something yeah. for this as well. Mm. But it's, I think it's when you come through the door, you, you'll realise that it is special and it is nice. And it's, it's a, it's funny. It's, it's Men really uplifting. Women. It's Men actually like, women. even though it's great. And we all wear t-shirts. So you know who yeah, who's one of us is. And you're met with a smile and the offer of a cup of tea and a cup of coffee or a biscuit. Yeah. But it's not just women either. We no, do have men, men in the group. And yeah. we'd yeah. love more men to come as well. Yeah. To just support the men in the group. Well, it's yeah. just that men um, need to talk as well. And yeah. I think men in grief don't get as much chance to kind of... Open up. Open up and say yeah. how they yeah. feel. And it is so important. And we would... Just don't be afraid to come to group because you're a man. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. It's there for everyone. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Young, or like, and even if there's, like, we're not counselling, but if there's even young people, like, it's not, like, it's not all... And isn't this sound so terrible? But we're not all like OAPs sitting in the room. Yeah. Like that's, but uh, the OAPs are welcome too. It's yeah. like everybody is so it's inclusive. Yeah. Every age. Yeah. 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 Get a good mix. And on that note, we leave it there, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank Thanks you so all much. very much for coming here and sharing your stories. Um, I'm sorry for all your losses. I really am. And um, I really know, I know, like, you know, I know when I do a podcast, I know, like, I'm in my mind going, it's going to help so many people. Um, and I know definitely this one will. So I thank you. Thank you. And congratulations Thanks for setting much. up what you've Thank done. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain i learned this the hard way after losing my cat gingy so i created pretty litter a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors saving you money and potentially your cat's life pretty litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.